People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead return to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. How the devil are you all? I uh, hope you're all keeping safe uh, amid this corona environment that we're in at the moment. Um, on that, obviously, we're going to try and put out the shows um, as often as we can. But, you know, I'm just a phone call away from the school being shut and then I've got to look after the kids and, you know, etc, etc. You all know. So, um, <clears throat> if there's a delay in the shows for any reason, we'll try and let you know on social media and that. But, obviously... Uh, given the environment, we've just got to take it one day at a time. That's all we can do. Luckily, in the, I mean, in the area that we're living in, Grimsby, there's not been any cases at the moment. So, fingers crossed, touch wood and all that, we should be all right. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fluid uh, situation, isn't it? So, today, uh, I'm joined by Dan, uh, the Viking from uh, This Week in History. We had him on before for the Norse mythology episode. And I know a few of you listened to his podcast off the back of that, so... If you haven't checked it out, if you're into history and you want to listen to a history podcast, then This Week in History, and it's got a picture of a Spitfire on the front that says, uh, you can check that out. So we're going to talk about the airship and the medium today. Um, so, yep, keep your messages coming in, keep sending your reports, and if you've seen a cryptid or anything like that, or a ghost, we, we want your stories. I'm going to do a listener story episode, I think, so I've had quite a few sent in, so that's great. So if you want to come on and share the stories, uh, story or if you want to come if you want to send your story in to be read out on the show reach us at supernaturalpod at gmail.com that's supernaturalpod at gmail.com that being said let's get on with today's show the medium and the airship okay so um Aaron couldn't be here this week, so me and Dan from uh, This Week in History, which we had on for the Norse mythology episode, we decided to do a bit of a collaboration um, on a certain aspect, so the medium and the airship, shall we say. Um, so Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well today, thank you. So this is going out on both our podcasts, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, we'll do it as a joint one. Yeah, so your listeners will get the history and the, um, well, the, the psychic the, the, Yeah, I was going to say the nonsense from me, I suppose, but, <laughs> well, um, yeah, so uh, Aaron's up, up in Glasgow this weekend, enjoying himself. Watching out for Corona. <laughs> well, you can't miss it, it's everywhere, isn't it? No, I know, they, uh, scary times. Have you ever been to Glasgow? I have, yeah. I actually lost an earring in Glasgow once on a night out. What, through violence? Yeah, through violence. I've got a scar <laughs> on my ear where someone ripped it out. So that was nice of him. Yeah, I've only had one uh, venture up to Glasgow. Um, it was interesting. It was different. Um, I met this girl and I decided to go up to Glasgow to meet her. And um, we stopped in this B&B and it was, it was, I mean, it was a fucking shithole. It was a proper dive. Um, but obviously I was there to, to eat meat air and all the rest of it, so it was all good. But um, yeah, yeah, that was weird because she, um, yeah, I've gone all the way to Glasgow, which is a long way. It's a long train 
train journey, you know. It's a feral trek. Yeah, and so it's a few hours. Gets up there, and, uh, you know, we're there for one thing, a night out, and, you know, the old uh, in-out. And um, gets into the room and that, and we, we get on the bed and everything, and then she says, you can come on my belly. Brilliant. Yeah, and I thought... <laughs> Uh, you know, three hours for that. But anyway, we got into it and that, and uh, no, she didn't want me doing that <laughs> when we got started. So it was all good in the end. <laughs> oh dear. But her name was yeah. Laura, Laura McCocklin or something like that. I don't know. Can't remember. Brilliant. Now, now she's listening. You've just called her out. <laughs> hey, she was she was cracking last. You know what I mean? She really was. But she just lived too far away. She'd been down here. You know, things would have been different. But hey, oh. Um, anyway, uh, my, sister, my sister lives in Glasgow. Yeah, I won't go again. I don't think it's not that bad. Yeah, it's a just bit. too far for fuck all. Yeah, it is a bit of a journey. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to give me the history of yes. this particular airship disaster, shall we say? Yeah, and then I'll chime in with the psychic at the end, Elaine Garrett. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. To be fair. Yeah, I mean, it's a story that I've not um, come across until you mentioned it. And looking into a little bit of the history of air and air beliefs were the most interesting thing. Besides the airship uh, bit itself, which we're going to cover, their actual beliefs uh, as a psychic were very interesting and not too far off what I believe. So that's interesting. And we'll hmm. obviously get into that towards the end. But do you want to fire cool. away with um, the history? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, basically, it was um, the British airship program. So, at this time in history, Germany was obviously running their Zeppelins. Um, obviously, everyone's well aware of the... I'm assuming everyone's well aware of the Hindenburg crash, which was probably the most famous, which was 1937. And really, that's famous purely on the basis that it was caught on TV. So, it was actually on camera. The whole crash was on camera. Mm. Uh, This actually happened in 1930. So, this was sort of nine years prior to that. And Britain basically came up with this idea that they wanted to travel in luxury to different corners of the empire. And the plan was to create two airships. One that could travel over the Atlantic to America and Canada. And one that could travel over Europe and go towards India. So the, the plan basically, they, they built two two airships. There was the R100, which was built by a private enterprise, and there was the R101, which was given to the government. So this story actually covers the R101, which is the government-based airship, let's say. So it was the air ministry, and it was Lord Thompson who was the air minister. Now, Lord Thompson was actually on that flight, or on the first flight for the R101. And the R the R101 like I said it, it took quite a bit of time to be built. Um they the R by the time the R101 had been built, let's put it into a bit of context. The the R100, the privately enterprised um ship had already been to Canada and back before the R101 was even completed. So mm. pretty much like everything that our government does, it takes a long time and it's not as good because that's how they do everything you just need to look I mean being a football fan you look at Wembley Wembley needs a new pitch every two weeks and it took them 10 years to build and it was 4 million 5 million whatever over budget but yet Arsenal managed to build an entire ground in a season so it's privately enterprise stuff seems to work better in this country than when the government actually take control so 
it was doomed from the start, really. Yeah. Um, well, it was the so, it was the R one hundred who, not, like you say, went to Canada and back, but it went without difficulty. You know, had it cr- a few issues. Um, yeah, it had on, niggly yeah. issues, and I think I think that's what they wanted to do was to find out what the issues were yeah. and then try and change them. Um, and the main one was obviously they they use hydrogen gas. Hydrogen gas is extremely flammable. And they use, the R100 use petrol engines. So petrol engines, as everyone knows, petrol is highly, highly flammable. And their way of getting around that was to use diesel. Now, um, diesel engines are a lot heavier, but they don't, they don't blow up. You know, diesel doesn't catch fire. If you ever put a naked flame on diesel, it won't, it won't catch fire. It's the fumes that catch fire off diesel, not necessarily the actual liquid. Yeah. So hence, hence the reason we don't have, diesel bombs yeah exactly so they're not they're not they don't work um so it is it does make a big you know big difference but like i said they did put a lot, a lot of extra weight on it so i mean empty weight on the r101 was sort of 116 nearly 117,000 kilos so it was well over a ton bearing in mind these were supposed to be lightweight airships it certainly wasn't lightweight um, when they built it, they built it with hydrogen bags. So, where as like the Zeppelins, the German way they built things, they were built with everything internal, and then a little sort of cargo ship hung off the bottom. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I don't know if anyone's ever seen pictures of them. They're like just big balloons, basically. With like I said, the German ones had like a. I don't really know how to describe it. Like an airship bag, you know, like you'd get in a bit hot air balloon, just like a big basket underneath yeah. that was windowed gond- off. Is it called a gondola? The bit that yeah, it's called it a gondola. Uh, but basically, yeah, people are familiar with blimps, advertising blimps. If yeah. they haven't seen the airship, they'll be familiar with it, advertising blimps. It's essentially that, but on a massive scale. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And the R one hundred or the R one hundred one, the plan was to actually build everything internal, so everything was inside the ship there was no baskets underneath there was nothing hanging underneath the ship it was just everything was internal and it gave them the ability to make it quite luxurious if you ever see pictures of the r101 it almost looked like a cruise ship inside it was was wonderful really really well crafted yeah ornate i would say yeah I mean exactly. the the one hundred one. I heard st- uh, no the one the r hundred is it. I heard yeah. stories that people were you know pleasure like just moving across that ocean there and there was looking at whales underneath and eating the dinner mm-hmm. and you know it was a free cost meal and silver cutlery and all that and it sounds like I mean that's better than the shit you get on airplanes today isn't it? Yeah exactly I mean if it was something that they could bring back I think with that sort of luxury but you know less dangerous I think it probably would come back it, yeah. it definitely I'm not sure that they know, are dangerous well I mean hydrogen and petrol is not really a good mix but you know the thing is back then they they would have used helium at the time helium was only manufactured in the states so wasn't very easy to get hold of you know nowadays i think helium's probably a lot easier to get hold of you can buy it in card factory do you know what i mean yeah so um but anyway back back to the r out yeah oh yeah it's good fun um so it basically it started with a few problems so they they'd obviously they added these airbags in to the r101 then they got it off the ground. They got it barely off the ground. You know, sort of. I think it was about twenty nine feet. They got it off the ground, <clears throat> and that was 
sufficient for them to go, hang on, we've got a problem. What they then did was they cut the fuselage and added another hydrogen bag inside. So it actually made it 717 feet or 236 meters long. So it was pretty big. Mm. Um, and that gave it, you know, the, the ability to actually lift off the ground. It's more buoyancy. And yeah, exactly. But obviously also a lot more dangerous. So it had a top speed of 71 miles an hour again so for when you're talking you know back in the day you're talking about battleships and cruise ships in this time period that would travel at about 30 30 knots yeah. 35 knots something 20 like miles that. an hour or something yeah yeah these were doing 62 knots or 71 miles an hour they were they were pretty fast you know the range was around 4000 miles well that was the, the planned range of it was to go around 4000 miles so a trip to india was definitely not impossible you know they 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 had it all set out it was all ready to go and its maiden voyage it it took 54 people on its maiden voyage and when it when it went up it went around london a couple of times it, they showed it off you know they really did show it off and it got over france and it it didn't it didn't get back it didn't go any further than that so what it what actually happened on the airship was as it it went over to france it was sort of rushed through as well so lord thompson like i said who's the air minister at the time he he really wanted this ship to go he wanted it yeah you know it, it was it was his sort of almost his baby really it was his pride he wanted it got he wanted to show off to the world that he was a good he was good air whatever uh, i can't remember what he was air marshal or air i don't even think that the position in government exists anymore no air ministry air minister i'm not sure there's he he backed himself in a corner didn't he He, he, yeah he said we are going to fly on this day and even though there was um Issues, let's say. Um, yeah, he, he still said no. We're flying, it, regardless yeah. of what the captain said and all the rest of it. He, we're going. Exactly, and it, he sort of he'd made that decision to do it. You know, they they tested it before. You know, it was tested in 1929, uh, and it, it like I said, it worked. It, it it did get off the ground. It did fly. It didn't do as well as they wanted it to, and the air ministry just went. No, it needs to go. It need we've we've set this date. It has to go. You know, it when it when it took off, it it like I said, it flew over London. It actually flew to Norwich as well. So for those of you who aren't aware of Norwich in in the east of England, it went to Norwich because of Sandringham House, which is where the king lived, or where the king was at the time. So it they made a real big spectacle of it. You know, they they really did want to show off this thing and show that Britain actually had an air program, basically. So it went off, like I said, it, and when it, it crossed over the channel and it got to, as it got to France, it, they were starting to show a few problems on the ship and it, it went down. Now, as it went down, the the reasons were to start with that there was, on the front of the airship, it was almost like a canvas that kept it all in encased, if that makes sense. And the material started to peel off the airship. Now, as the material was peeling off, it started to cause holes in in the the gas bags because obviously the wind was getting straight into the ships. Now, these gas bags were actually sewn together, so they weren't. You know what I mean? Like they weren't. They weren't foolproof. They had holes in. They had tiny little pinholes in. They were 
not airtight if that makes sense mm. you know and as soon as those as soon as the canvas started to lift off the front of the airship these holes were then subject to everything external from the ship and it just made these holes bigger and bigger and bigger causing more and more problems and it, basically it, it was pretty much doomed so what they did they slowed it down they, the, the captain slowed the airship down now the reports say he actually slowed the airship down to around 13 miles an hour now i've had a bike accident that's better than that was faster than 19 miles an hour so he really did slow the bike slow the bike sorry he really did slow the airship right down and it you know he almost as he as he hit the ground it the plan i'm guessing the plan was just to sort of hit and cruise to to a nice stop obviously as it hit the ground the metal filings from inside them the the encasement hit the the hydrogen tiny little spark and the whole thing just went bang yeah and there was only four survivors so out of all the people on board lord lord thompson was was one of them he, you know he died he actually died on the plane so out of out on the plane on the airship so out of the 48 it was six people that survived that says so 54 and 48 died so it was quite quite a big story in Britain, you know. This was they they were trying to rival Germany, and they failed really. You know, the the air, the whole story of the airships and everything like that stopped after that. You know, we didn't we didn't produce any more. Yeah. Even though, like I said, the R one hundred was was actually okay. You know, the the R one hundred was successful. It did its journey. It, like you said, obviously earlier, it did have a few niggly issues, um, but it but it worked. You know, it, it it did work. It was successful, and then because this one was such a catastrophic failure, it it went, and you know they they sort of Britain didn't really know what to do with that, and they just went no no no, so that will stop, and they, and that's it, and then we've never had airships again. Mm. So, but there is. You know, um... Uh, quite a few conspiracy theories around airships mm. and uh, yes. the fact that let's say the the people who um especially if they've gone to diesel um, which was the plan uh the people who obviously make petrol and stuff they wasn't happy mm. about that and the same in the hindenburg i think um, but there's like i say so there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that yes there is definitely uh, it you know it, it it was one of them ones where the official report was that too much hydrogen was leaked and you know because of that it wasn't able to sustain the altitude that it needed and it went down and as it went down that was it you know there was nothing that could avoid it I mean it, it was it was so close to a, uh, like a, a church even the locals of one of the churches in France said it literally grazed the top of the church as it went down so it really it was on its way you know there was no saving it but the actual aftermath let's say of the explosion potentially could have been you know avoided and i think it sort of it resonated you know to the point that with there's even like a memorial in westminster palace so i say westminster palace for everyone else that's houses of parliament so you know the the palace of westminster it's the Houses of Parliament for those of you that don't know but there's a memorial in there for the people who died uh, so it's like a little plaque so they, they did really sort of take 
they did they were aware of it you know on the 5th of October 1930 and it was laid by permission of King George V so you know it they did they did take a little bit of pride in it if that makes sense yeah and it was just like I say it was something that could have been avoided but was there was there more to it and that's where you come in I suppose if there was more to it or if yeah. there was you know well, take it away was there more to it well that's the question I mean where Elaine Garrett comes into this is she proposes a theory that um, basically blamed the government if you like the, yeah. the, the government had said this was a disaster for various different reasons and they weren't really necessarily taking responsibility for it uh, they more or less made out that it was pilot error if you like yeah, um, it's the easy mistake, isn't it? Yeah, but this Thompson, like you say, he wanted this thing out and they was all saying it's not ready to go. But he wanted it to be, you know, it's got to go, it's got to go. And uh, obviously the issues that resulted was probably from that decision. But Elaine Garrett, okay. So for those who don't know, she's a psychic medium. It's the way best to describe, okay. But not necessarily, because you don't necessarily believe what the rest of the psychic mediums believe, but we'll get into that towards the end. Um, hmm. She was born in 1893, okay? And she was born in Ireland. Now, unfortunately for her, she didn't have the best of beginnings. Two weeks after she was born, both her parents had committed suicide. Wow. Yeah. So she ended up going to live with an aunt. And from an early age, she had let's say, a gift, if you like. She had this uh, ability. She could see auras around people. Um, she, mm. she could see ghosts. Uh, she actually had three friends, uh, three ch- uh, child, like child ghosts that lived in the house. Where, and you can imagine her aunt didn't want to talk about anything like this. And um, she actually... Yeah, especially, especially back then. Exactly. So she was quite strict with her. Um, but Eileen couldn't not see these things. She could see them so... She would often play with them and uh, have conversations and stuff like that. And every time her aunt would catch her, she would beat her. And one particular day, she'd, she'd had enough of the beating and she'd run off. And she took her revenge out on um, some ducklings at a local pond. Uh, she killed three ducklings uh, as a in a fit of rage, if you like. But as she's done this, she's noticed this what she describes as a grey smoke substance rising in a spiral form from these ducklings. Okay, so she noticed this and she wondered what that was. Obviously, she had this ability to see auras and such, so she killed, um, in the interest of science, you must understand, she, ki- yeah. <laughs> she killed She killed a few crows and some rabbits and they, they also um, released this grey spiralling substance that she could see. Later on, she will. She did go on to say that she was horrified by what you know by what she'd done, the brutality of what she'd done, and she spent the rest of her life um, protecting animals and being, yeah, being protective. Yeah, very protective of animals after that. So she was a bit of a problem child, and she readily admits that um, she actually said that she she knew she was because she had these gifts. She didn't know how to control them. She didn't know um, why she was different from anybody else and why she could do the things that no one else could do, and. Her aunt got fed up with her, and eventually she sent her away to school in Dublin. Yeah. Now, the teachers were frustrated with her as well, because she kept saying things at school that uh, would, let's say, spook the other children. 
um, and give the teachers a bit of a hard time. She she said things, lots of strange things, but she said she could see through her fingers. She said she could see through her knees and her feet and all kinds of weird stuff. Now, when psychologists get involved later on and all that, they'll they'll say this was a case of megalomania and uh, schizophrenia. She was obviously with the resulting from her childhood and all the rest of it. It's not that hard to see why she'd be schizophrenic. And she suffered from tuberculosis when she was 16. And that uh, made her move to England. Okay, she was sent to England. And she married a guy there. Now, she had two sons. She had four children in all. She actually had three marriages and none of them lasted. And she, she even said... She, yeah, she even said that she, the new, she knew they wouldn't, you know. But her first husband, he thought she was crazy, and uh, he actually had a. Actually, they both discussed it. It wasn't like he just had a section, but he they both discussed it, and he had to put in a loony bin at the time. Um, he, um, yeah, they just didn't couldn't understand what was going on. Now she actually had two children with him. She actually had four children in, in uh, you know, in all with the result of all the marriages. But she had two children with him, and both died at a young age. And she also saw this grey spiraling smoke come out of her children's bodies okay wow so it wasn't just the ducks and the animals it was actually people as well yeah but while she was in the mental institute she decided that maybe this wasn't wasn't her going crazy you know these voices in her head and that maybe she wasn't going crazy and maybe this was um something else you know like obviously you had spiritual mediums in the you know in that era and maybe she thought well she did think she maybe this is what this was um so she sort of embraced it, if you like, and that's kind of where the airship comes in, because in three visions, okay, she had three visions of an airship crashing over London. Uh, they were in 1926, 1928, and 1929. Now, the uh, airship that we're talking about today actually crashed in, was it the 4th of October 1930? Yeah. But she'd had these three visions, and the, the, the last one she had in the 29. She saw it over her head, and she actually thought it was happening right there and then. She, it, this was um, so lifelike, you know, so real. Um, but obviously, no one else was reacting to it, so she realised this was a premonition. And she contacted the Air Ministry, Thompson and the rest, and they, they just, you know, totally disregarded it. Said, no, nope, not going to happen, and blah, blah, blah. And obviously, um, we, we, you know, uh, as things would come to pass, it did come true. But at the time, she was being um, tested. Now, she was one of these mediums who would uh, put herself up for tests. She'd been tested by uh, numerous amounts of parapsychologists. Um, uh, uh, Joseph Ryan, for instance, he tested her. Uh, and then Harry Price and some of the others got involved as well. Now, there's a lot of controversy shall we say about the claims that she was making now she wasn't she wasn't necessarily um right some of the tests that they was doing on her were like for uh you know extrasensory perception things like this so some of the tests they would do they would um booth uh, did this test of it where he would put cards down on the table and ask her to pick the triangle uh, obviously the cards are face down and you know you say pick the triangle and she'd just pick a card and he said that she was getting uh, about what you'd expect to see if someone was guessing yeah. okay so what you know here herself she got frustrated with these tests because she didn't believe that these tests were 
necessarily aimed at what she could do. You know, these tests were, you know, for psychics, etc. These weren't tests for what she believed she was, is some sort of medium. Okay. Yeah, exactly. clear, you might say clairvoyant. So, like I say, some of the tests were taken place by Harry Price. Now, Harry Price was a famous parapsychologist. He's cropped up in, he crept up in last week's episode on Helen Duncan. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and he also crept up in the Bawley case that we, the Bawley Rectory that we covered. Now, he really backed himself to get to the bottom of any claims of um, the paranormal. Okay. So, he, he sets out to test her. And in one of the tests that he actually um, engineered was to uh, contact the recently deceased Arthur Cohen Doyle. Okay. The um, guy who did Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. that's the one. Oh dear, there's, there's random history knowledge there. <laughs> My wife says I'm full of random, useless information. So. Says you're full of shit. Yeah, basically. Good in a pub quiz, though. Very good in a pub quiz. Okay, so this seance was arranged for the 7th of yes, October, sorry. 1930, yeah. and it commenced at 3pm. And obviously this was a few days after the disaster. I think the, the airship crashed on the 4th of October. So this is a few days after. And... Like I say, there was there to contact Africa and Doyle. But to the surprise of everybody in the room, and Harry Price was there, and his secretary was taking these notes, and some of them I'm going to give you uh, some of the things that came through here. Now, it's important to mention at this point that she had uh, the the, uh, the colloquial word for this is a spirit guide. Um, you know, these clairvoyant souls have these mm. like spirit guides that uh, the, 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 the contact the the deceased forum, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, how many Andy got? Yeah, exactly. And I'll go into a little bit what she thought these were at the end, but and for instance, this particular one on this day was a guy called Yuvani. Um, yeah. She actually had two spirit guides, uh, Adult Latif and um, Yuvani. But this particular day, Yuvani was there. So they start by asking, um, you know, who's there and all the rest of it. And I think it took about five minutes for Yuvani to come through. And in broken English, because he wasn't um, an English uh, personality, if you like, he started saying things like, I see the moment Irvine or or Irwin, um, he said, something about apologizes for coming or for, for interfering. Speak Dora or Dorothy or Gladys. For heaven's sake, give this to him. He goes on like this. And he talks about engine capacity. Now, he was picking up, as it later turned out, he was actually picking up the voice of Flight Lieutenant H. Carmichael Irwin, who was the captain of the R-101. Right? Mm-hmm. And through this communication, he, again, he apologised for coming through, um, and he knew there was there to contact other people, but he said he, you know, he had to come through, and he had to tell his story now some of the things that he come through was such like this engines were too heavy okay it was that I made five occasions to scuttle back to safety useful lift too small gross lift computed badly informed control panel Uh, this idea of elevation is totally mad elevator jammed oil pipe plugged the absorbent scheme of carbon and hydrogen is essentially the absolutely wrong. 
To begin with, the demand for it would be great, greater than the supply. Also, let me say this. I have experimented with less hydrogen, with a result we're not able to reach 1,000 metres. With a carbon hydrogen, you will be able to get no altitude worth speaking about. With hydrogen, one is able to do that quite easily. Greater lifting than helium. Explosion caused by friction in electric storm. Flying low altitude could never rise. Disposable lift could not be utilised. Low too great for long flight. Same with SL8 Tel uh, Enka. Enka something. I think that was another... Was that another airship? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. SL8 what? Enkra. Yeah, I think that must have been another airship, maybe. Uh, cruising speed, bad. Ship badly swinging. Severe tension on fabric, which caused chafing. Okay, so he's saying that was back to what you were talking about. Obviously, he's saying there was chafing. There was obviously with that hole and them rubbing together. That's what caused yeah. the, the hole in them, if you like. Uh, starboard strikes. Engine wrong. Too heavy. Cannot rise. Never reach cruising altitude. Same in trials. Too short trials. Again, yeah, you know, this is two, two this is what we um, were speaking about before. You know, they rushed this along, and he's saying that the, the trials were too short. The thing, the thing is, with the trials as well, when they when they did the trials, they they basically made them to the pub to public knowledge. The trials were successful, so I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic, but the fact that you know, there's no way anyone in the country unless you were part of the air ministry would have known that those trials were unsuccessful so it it's you know the went basically the cover up of making sure that the british public thought everything was good to go and that's you know they wouldn't have known that yeah well again I you know I'll keep going with this because I think it's interesting just to give you not just a little part of this like a lot of what she said because uh, skeptics will say she just read this in the paper um, but again, you know, uh, the trials are too short. He says no one knew the ship properly. Okay, air screws too small, fuel injection bad, an air pump failed, cooling system bad, uh, bore capacity bad. Next time cylinders, but bore engine of uh, one thousand one hundred cc, but the bore was not enough to raise too heavy load and support weight. It had been named, known for many occasions that the bore capacity entirely inadequate for the volume of the structure. This had placed again and again before the engineer, without being able to enlarge the capacity of the diesel twin valve. Um, had the interchangeable with larger capacity, we may have made it, uh, but the structure no good, and actually the case, the gas did not allow the mixture to get into the engines, backfired, fuel injection bad. Now, price uh, popped in here to say crude oil is not inflammable. I don't know. Uh, anyway, then Airwin comes back through and says, this is inflammable. Also, to begin with, there was not sufficient feed, leakage, pressure and heat produced explosion. Explosion in the cylinders is uh, entirely already informed us of the explosion on the crash causing the, by friction in an electric storm. So now he's what he's saying here, price is saying... Well, a minute ago, he was telling us that it was an explosion, explosive storm, uh, electric storm, which caused the explosion. Now you're saying the cylinders caused the explosion. So he's, you know, he's trying, he's trying to point out the contradiction there. 
Okay, so obviously you know, that's kind of relevant, I suppose. But again, he, he mentions that he tried to go back five times. Uh, three times he started, but he couldn't couldn't succeed. Everything was against us. The weather was against us. To, you know, for this long flight, uh, the fabric got waterlogged. The ship's nose was down. Impossible to rise. Couldn't trim. Again, you know, this word couldn't trim. Um, remember, she's just meant to be regurgitating what she's read in the papers. Um, I'm not sure that the word trim would be in there um uh, again he says the elevator jammed almost scraped the roofs uh ashy okay kept a railway that's the town yeah by the way yeah yeah kept to kept a railway anyway and then obviously he goes on to say it was a nightmare and it was all wrong from the start etc etc but w- what's interesting to point out there is is like you say ashy was that was um uh, a railway station essentially now in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere and Erwin the, the pilot had actually he had to keep to the railway line in order to not crash into any structures um, because obviously if you imagine the railway line's like a clear route and yeah. as he went through Ashi the people that was there actually said that the, the airship only just made it across the buildings there it was that, it was that low yeah. to the ground it was actually scraping the buildings now that's the one I said about the church. Same thing, church. yeah. But Eileen spoke about Ashi when she's coming, when this pilot's meant to be coming through in this seance. She mentions Ashi. Now Harry Price believed that she was making this up, and she'd looked at the route and just pulled out a name from thin air or whatever. Just picked one on the route, and he got a map out of France, and he had a look, and he could not find Ashi on the map. So then he believed that. She was um, making it up. Lying. Yeah, lying. So he, he checked the... Obviously, the guy had said that he'd used the railways to um, to make his route, you know, to keep clear of structure. So he, he got a railway map. And this was an actual French railway map. Um, and he actually opened that and he checked the route where this uh, airship would have gone. And he actually found Ashi on there. Now, Ashi was not a town. It's just a railway station. It's like a... It's like a place where the the trains would stop and refuel, or you know, add water, that sort of thing. It was not, it you know, it literally was in the middle of nowhere. There was no, there was a road to it, obviously, for the people that weren't there, but there was no village around or anything like that. This was just a total, you know, it wasn't on the original map because it didn't need to be. This was just on the railway map. So now you've got to factor that in. Did she get a French railway map? To make up this elaborate ruse, you know, and not only that, the the specific railway map where the where it actually crashed, you know, two days before that. Yeah, and it was known that the um, Captain Irwin would have had a copy of this particular map. He did have a copy of it on the airship. Yeah, so he would have known the route. But again, you know, does that sound like? I mean, to me, that sounds, you know. When you look at these things, obviously skeptics will argue that um, she made it all up, blah, blah, blah. And if you look at, like, if you go on YouTube or anything like that, and you look at this case, I would imagine that if you watch 10 videos, probably, if they're all, like, skeptics talking about it, you'll probably find, out those 10 videos, you'll probably find nine of them don't even mention Ashi. Because it's almost a little bit too unexplainable. So instead of adding it in there, making it... Uh, part of the story, they'll probably leave it out because the rest of it can sort of be explained if you're saying, well, she just read this in the papers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, those terms, I think there's four, over 40 technical terms that she uses in that seance. Yeah. 
40, that's what I read. For Yeah, 40. So if she's reading from the papers, again, 40 seems a little bit... Now, yeah, all right, she could have remembered them. But some of those... I mean, I've not got the paper clip in here, but I'm sure maybe it's available. Maybe you can look at it. But I'm not sure that the paper would have gone into that amount of detail. Okay, because they're not talking to people that know anything about no. airships. No, they're talking to the general masses, you know. When the words trim and things like that, um, you know, maybe they mentioned that there was a diesel engine in there. That's possible, I suppose. But there's certain technical words in there. And again, you know, skeptics that looked into this later on who tested her and found she was, um, well, they believe she was uh, uh, hoaxing a lot of this. But they will say that she just, you know, regurgitated these from the paper. But there's little things in there for me that just make me think, Hmm, I'm not sure about that. Now, as spirit guides, okay, so when we talk about psychics and clairvoyance and this, we, we often talk about these spirit guides that come through and gave, uh, you know, uh, Helen Duncan, uh, in the last episode, we talked about she had a master of ceremony, Albert, who come through and perform a ceremony on, on her behalf. Um, this is, this is a, you know, a known thing. But yeah. Helen herself didn't believe that these were ghosts. Okay. She thought these were a creation of their subconscious, um, tapping into the magnetic field. Um, and that's where me and air sort of chime a little bit, because I do believe that a lot of these ghosts that we see and a lot of things like this, uh, especially like, um, memories that people have and that sort of stuff. I think, um, a lot of this is trapped in the magnetic field. And I think we just can access it. Um, and that's what she believed. She believed that these weren't ghosts. And she said in, in all their uh, time as a medium and all that, she'd never seen one shred of evidence that people live on after death. And she was she absolutely did not believe that people survived death, even though she was getting all this information from the so-called other side. Um, she believed this information was really coming from, it was stored in like the magnetic field, if you like, and that's where she was accessing it from. Um, yeah. so these were the memories, the thoughts of the people who had passed and you could access them. It was like in, in there, you know, um, like a massive storage uh, thing, if you like, dump, if you like. And that's what she was tapping into. She did not believe that these were the ghosts. But if you read a lot of these psychic, um, skeptics that, um, did test with her and all this stuff, they'll always try and talk about these being ghosts. Well, that's what, that she really didn't believe that at all. She really believed this was part of your subconscious and, you know, I think that gives her a little bit more credibility because she's not saying, you know, I'm contacting the, the spirits of diseased people. She's not saying that. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, very much I've been I've been brought up, a, I suppose, a sceptic. I'm not... I think I'm more, more of an open-minded sceptic. I'm not sure I believe... I, I certainly believe there are a lot of mediums out there that that do it for the money. Um, I think there are a lot of people who will home in on people's insecurity. I think at this time in particular in history, it was very, very easy for a medium to work because you're talking the end of the First World War. You're talking pretty much every British family. Everybody knew somebody who had died in the war, whether that be a brother, uh, a father, an uncle, grandfather, anything like his son. Everybody knew a man who died in the First World War. It, it affected everybody in this country. Yep. And I think for that alone, 
a lot of mediums at that time were sort of looked upon as a bit of like charlatans they were looked at as people who were just doing it to make money because it was so easy you know you could sit in a room of 30 people and go I've got a got a, a man coming through he's about 18 he's a soldier guaranteed you know 10 15 people in the room are putting their hands up it was so easy for them let's say to to pick and choose and get you know get money out of this and you know I've always been a bit of a skeptic and I think when you listen to something like this and you listen to a you know let's let's not forget this is a woman from Ireland she was let's say uneducated almost really you know she she didn't she didn't perform well in school she was actually expelled from school when she was younger because of what you know how she behaved yeah. you know she then moves to England with nothing behind her she's got mental illness she's locked up in a psychiatric ward in hospitals she's been married three times she's lost four children or lost three children uh, I believe she had a stillborn as well mm. and she had a kid that died a couple of weeks into infancy so you're talking about a woman who's severely mentally you know oh she's been problems. been through the ringer yeah, for sure she's yeah. been through hell i mean she was she was lucky in a way if you like that she was uh, actually in france once she when the war broke out so she got yeah. she got shipped off to um, america and she became um, part of a psychic uh, magazine out there so she did all right um after yeah and i think that's yeah. why she was open to doing these tests and things like that because she was you know i, th- I think for her she wanted a little bit of um uh, answers to what you know why she was like i say you know she didn't believe these were ghosts she believed this was something else and i think she was looking for answers as much as the the people testing them probably were yeah i mean they, they, you know that goes back to a childhood where she's walking around killing ducklings in a pond you know she's she doesn't really understand and and i think when you i mean i'm not i'm you know an educated historian i've got you know quite a lot of background to a lot of general knowledge and i think even i would struggle to come up with 40 specific terms to do with airships and i've studied airships so you know when you go back to somebody who who is in this sort of a situation in their life to actually come out with what she came out with there is no you know there's no answer to it and if i'm right uh, i believe she was actually arrested by well necess- not necessarily by the police but by the british secret service after this interview um or at least a week after the interview when it hit the papers because she leaked sensitive and high you know high class information that was you know oh what's the word I'm trying to think of the blooming word yeah it was now. classified classified yeah. that's the one classified so if that's true yeah. that 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 gives a more credibility that um she wasn't reading this in the papers no, no, exactly. I mean, like I said, that the, the. I mean, I didn't. I've read a little bit about this, but I didn't know about the, you know, the two test flights that, you know, that was mentioned in the thing, because obviously, like I said, the two test flights, as far as you can, any information you can find on it, yes, they were said as unsuccessful, but you're going back a hundred years ago when this was sent out to the paper, they wouldn't have come out and said, you know, we've had two test flights, they've been very unsuccessful. Mm. You know, it didn't it didn't get very high off the ground, but we're gonna send it out anyway. That wouldn't happen. No. You know, it would have been two successful test flights and Lord Thompson, 
the air minister's going on this flight to India. He'll be back in two weeks. No, he won't. Yeah, you know, it's that. You know, they they wouldn't have. These aren't things that she would have known, and unless she personally knew the pilot, these aren't things she would have known. No, no. I mean, people said that she was interested in airships, but even so, you know, um, you know, this is nineteen thirties. This is not. Or even she you can't know. go on Google. No, she, yeah, that's what I mean. She's not got access to this. And it's not like, you know, Airship Weekly. You know, she can just go and get a magazine down. Um, yeah, she could have had people. She could have known people that was interested in airships. But still, I don't know. I think, um, I think it's um, well, it's obviously a tragedy. But uh, hey, it's an interesting. One. I just, I just think that it should bring airships back for me. I think. Um, oh, I'd love it. Yeah, because it, I mean. They've got buoyancy, right? They're not going anywhere. Once you get them up in the air, they're staying there. So even if the engines fail or whatever, you know, if you're going across the uh, Atlantic Ocean or whatever and the engines fail, you don't crash into the sea and, and perish. You know, you you just sort of hold there. Just sit there. You know, yeah. and, and, and you have an engineer on there who can fix the engine. So you don't get that in a... I know, obviously, it takes a little bit longer to get there uh, to where you're same going. Same as a cruise. Yeah, same as a cruise. It's probably quicker than a cruise. Um, yeah, you know, so for me, I think with the technology that we've got today, then we probably mind you, you know, if you look at the technology that they're keeping from us, you don't know we've got probably better stuff than that. But hey, I think airships have got a bad reputation for no reason. Yeah, I mean they got they got a bad reputation thanks to the Hindenburg, and like I said, with it being on live TV, mm. that sort of you know put everyone against it and. And I certainly, when you you look back through history, there's not been a successful one really. I mean, even the R100, it's you know, all right, yeah, it got to Canada and back, but it certainly had some problems. Yeah. So I just think they'd never perfected it. They just it was a abandoned too early. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And you know, I mean, I mean, there was no good for the war effort because it'd easily be destroyed. So I think that was probably the reason why they they knocked on the head. Um, yeah, definitely. But anyway, that's very uh, easy to yeah to just put a bullet through. But that's the uh, that's the airship in the medium then. Yes, yeah, the R one hundred, the R one hundred one. So you know, let us know what you guys think if you uh, if you think she was um, tr- full of crap. <laughs> yeah, full of crap, or you think she was actually tapping into something. Um, you know, always let us know. You can reach me at. Um, supernaturalpod at gmail.com Dan uh, T-W-I-H pod at gmail.com very good well yeah. thank you very much everybody out there stay safe uh, isolate as much as you can uh, yeah enjoy your time off work yeah well I mean it's the bills isn't it it's the bills that's the that's the that's the kicker isn't it it's mm. right if you live in Italy yeah they've um, suspended mortgage payments for three months haven't they but you know, that, you still got to eat, and you know. I know. Well, I know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, just stay safe and yeah, yeah. stay away from people coughing. Yeah. But um, that being said, uh, thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you on the other side. Well, they've gone. Though just for now, it wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights. Other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. Oh, my God.